famous story to illustrate that is one time when he attended church by himself because his wife was sick. And he came in afterwards, and she wanted to know what went on, and so she asked what the preacher's sermon was on. And with his characteristic brevity, he said, sin, she wanted to know more. So she pressed him a little bit further. Well, what did he say about it? He's against it. Well, we're all against sin, aren't we? At least theoretically. And yet, we're all so involved in it. To the point that it's almost like a fog. It's thick and it's dense and it's pressing around us to the point that we can't even really see to get a handle on it and fully appreciate just how all-encompassing and all-enveloping sin is. As Paul says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. To unpack what that means, we're talking about sin tonight. So what sin is, what the human condition is, I think we really need to go all the way back to the beginning and see it against the backdrop of creation. The word that we actually looked at last week, if you were here. God created a world that was good. In fact, it wasn't just good, it was very good. And he created humanity in his image, the, the pinnacle of his work to represent him out in the world and to oversee all of his creation. But then in chapter 3 of Genesis, sin entered the picture. In verse 1, we read that the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You'll not surely die, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You see, right here is the basic temptation. This is the root of all sin. We want to deny our place as creatures and rebel against the Creator. We want to be our own gods. We want to be the ones who make the rules. We want to push God out of the way, displace Him, and put ourselves there in His place. You'll be like God, the serpent says, and that's exactly what we want. Sin is a failure to acknowledge that God is God. Remember in Romans chapter 1, Paul there is talking about those who uh, deny God and those who engage in all types of sin, and he describes their sinfulness, and it's, he says it's because they desired the creation, and they denied the creator. They didn't give him glory. They didn't give him thanks the way that they ought to do. That's why the first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me, because really, all sin, all the other commandments are breaking that commandment. 
It's elevating something else or someone else, and particularly us, into that first place that only God should have. Well, after Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they saw just what they'd done, and they tried to hide from him. There in verse number 7, it says that then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? We still react just that same way, don't we? Oh yeah, our responses are a little more sophisticated than that, at least we think they are, but they're nothing more than fig leaves as far as God's concerned. As the Hebrews writer puts it, chapter 4, verse 13, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And so they're caught red-handed. And when they were caught, they did just what we all tried to do, shift the blame. They didn't want to accept responsibility. They blamed somebody else. Verse number 12, the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you've done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. As the old saying goes, the man blamed the woman, the woman blamed the serpent, and the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. But that's what we do, isn't it? The devil made me do it. No, he didn't. We did it. We chose to do it. That's the story of sin. That's the story of the human condition. Humanity is capable of good. We know better. And yet we still don't do what we ought to do. We're both the image of God and the dust all at the same time. That's what sin is all about. This is primarily a word study, of course, one word, sin. Well, let's talk about the words for sin, and I don't want to go through all of them. I'm just going to talk about the two that are most frequent, the most frequent Hebrew word for sin, the most frequent Greek word, and they actually have the exact same shade of meaning. The most frequent Hebrew term is chotah, and the basic meaning of that is to miss the mark, to miss the way. It's a word that, that's ordinarily used in, in that common sense, and you see an example of that in Judges chapter 20 and verse 16. It talks about the slingers in the tribe of Benjamin and that they were able to throw stones accurately to not miss. That's the word, the same word that's usually translated as sin. And that same thing is true of the primary Greek term, hamartia. There are other words used for sin, but these are the two most common, and hamartia means the same thing. It means to miss the mark. And the idea is, you know, like a soldier with a spear aiming at a target, and he throws it, and he misses. So these are ordinary words. They were commonly used in that sense, but 
Scripture invests them with this richer significance. You think about missing a target, and the gravity of that all depends on what you're aiming at, right? It depends on what the target is. Well, sin is a transgression against God. The divine standard's the target. God's will is what we're aiming at. And when we miss that, that's a serious thing. And I think it's important that we understand that because there's a a lot of inadequate ideas about sin floating around out there in popular culture. You you even sometimes hear some of these things parroted among professing Christians. Sin isn't just some hangover from the Middle Ages, some superstition about an angry God that's watching over us and we have to appease him. And it's not just some baggage that we're carrying around because of our Puritan ancestors who are always so sour and so we're afraid to have any fun and do anything that we ought not to do. That's what a lot of secular people try to say because they want to deny the idea that there even is any such thing as sin. Sin isn't just petty vices, bad habits, It's not just restrictive cultural norms or mores that we're worried about violating. Now, when I say that it's not just petty vices, that doesn't mean there's no such thing as little sins, but what I'm saying here is that there's so much more involved in it than that. Sins aren't just wrong acts as if we could prohibit the deeds and then we'd eliminate sin. I mean, you think about what Jesus has to say about that in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you've heard it said that you shall not commit murder, but I say to you, don't even be angry with your brother. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I say to you, don't even look at someone with lustful thoughts. See, our motivations are important too, not just our acts. But it's not just our motivations either because you can have the best of intentions, sincere in your motives, have a clear conscience, and still sin. You think about the Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 23, standing there before the Sanhedrin and they've called him there because they're angry with him because he's a a Christian, all the preaching he's been doing. And he stands up to defend himself and he says, brothers, I've lived before God in all good conscience up to this day the same man who persecuted the church not just persecuted the church persecuted Jesus that's what Jesus said I'm Jesus the one you're persecuting he delivered innocent men and women and children to prison and to be killed that was sin it didn't matter that he had a clear conscience he thought he was doing God's will but he was sinning that's why he calls himself in first Timothy the chief of sinners So that's what sin's not. Well, what is involved in sin? Well, for one thing, as we've said, it's rebellion against God. It's deciding that we have the right to determine what's good and what's evil. You know, back to Genesis 3 and verse number 22, the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. It's putting ourselves in the driver's seat and not recognizing God as God. Related to that is ingratitude. We're not thankful to the Creator, recognizing that every good thing comes from Him. In fact, everything that we have and that we are comes from Him. 
That's what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1. Failing to acknowledge God as the creator. That's a root of sin. We don't lovingly respond to the love he showed us. As far as we're concerned, sin involves pride and self-absorption. Wanting to elevate ourselves to that number one position. Now, some amount of self-love is necessary. It's good even. Scripture talks about that. But it's no accident that when the Proverbs writer, remember this, he says, six things the Lord hates, yea, seven are an abomination to him. You remember what number one is? A proud look. That's because pride, putting yourself in that first place, that's the root of sin. It's wanting to be our own God, remember? And so when you think about these factors, we want to be the boss. We don't want anyone to tell us what to do. We can see why sin's pervasive because those things are ubiquitous. Everybody feels that way at one time or another. Now, this isn't a popular topic for us to talk about much today. We We don't talk too much about sin because it's uncomfortable. We don't like to hear that we're sinners. We want things that make us feel good. We want a a watered-down version of the gospel. You know, most of the popular preaching, you go to a Barnes & Noble and you see most of the popular so-called Christian books, all they really are is self-help books with a little thin Christian veneer. And it's all about, well, you know, I'm okay, you're okay, God loves you and he just wants you to be happy. You're pretty good the way you are. You just need to look inside yourself and reach self-actualization or something like that, and we sprinkle a little bit of Jesus on there so it sounds like it's scriptural. We don't think about sin, and if we think about sin at all, we think of just a few really heinous evil deeds, you know, murder, sexual assault, uh, armed robbery maybe, things like that. You know, the types of things we see in the movies that really bad people do, the guys that wear the black hats, we know those guys, and That's not us. We're not bad people like that. Those are the people who sin. But when we think about it rightly, as Scripture says, as Paul says, Romans chapter 3 again, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's a lot of places in Scripture where we have litanies, that is lists of different sins, and I could have picked any one of them, but just consider this one from Galatians chapter 5. Beginning in verse 19, this is contrasted with the fruit of the Spirit. Paul says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envies, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, we look at this list of sins, and some of these are evident to us. Sorceries, yeah, witchcraft, sure. Idolatry, yeah, absolutely. Those are things bad people do. But, but then we look again, and we see jealousy, rivalries, fits of anger. Those hit a little bit closer to home, don't they? It's where, as the old saying goes, Paul's quit preaching. He's gone to meddling. This is stepping a little bit on our toes here. And he says that if you practice those things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. But you know, sin is even more comprehensive than that. 
that still doesn't give us the full picture. Sometimes we talk about sins of commission versus omission. That is, doing things that we ought not to do, but then on the other hand, failing to do things we know we should do. That's sins of omission. You know, as James says, to the one who knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it's sin. And sometimes I've heard people say that, well, we need to be careful with those sins of omission, that we don't press that concept too far because, you know, it's not as if we can be doing good all the time. Well, that, that's true. Even Jesus had to take time out for himself, for rest, for refreshment. So when we're talking about sins of omission, we're not saying that we must be doing something good every single waking moment or else we're in sin. But on the other hand, I think actually we maybe don't press that concept far enough. Sin is missing the mark. Remember? That's the primary meaning, missing the mark in both Hebrew and Greek. Now, for a Jew, the mark is the law. You need to keep the law. And the law has an important function. As as Paul says in Romans, it reveals to us what sin is. We would know what sin was except for the law. We have an idea of what God's expectations are because of it. But as Christians... Our mark isn't the law. Our mark is Christ. We're to grow into the likeness of Christ. We're to be recreated in his image. Or take it all the way back to the beginning where we started. God created us in his image. We're to reflect that into the world. So I don't think we take this far enough any time that we don't live up to what God created us to be any time we don't live up to that version of it revealed to us perfectly in Christ because he revealed to us what God wants us to be any time we're not that we've missed the mark and when we look at it that way we realize We've all missed the mark. We're all guilty of that, every single one of us, and we continue to miss that mark. Sin is fundamentally failing to be what God created us to be. And that takes us back to the passage Tristan read a few moments ago from 1 John chapter 1. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we haven't sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. In T.S. Eliot's play, The Cocktail Party, there's a scene in which one of the characters, Celia Copplestone, is talking to a counselor and she's trying to explain the sense of guilt that she has she doesn't want to use the word sin because she was taught not to believe in sin like so many people in our world, that that sort of thing doesn't exist. And so she says it's not sin, at least in the ordinary sense of any sort of immoral acts. She says, it's not the feeling of anything I've ever done, which I might get away from or of anything in me I could get rid of, but of emptiness, of failure, 
towards someone or something outside myself, and I feel I must atone? Is that the word? Can you treat a patient for such a state of mind? That's an excellent description of the brokenness of sin. It's not so much breaking a rule on a list or committing one or another immoral acts. It's separation. Separation from God. Separation from others. Separation from God's good creation. Separation from yourself in the sense of what God always intended you to be and created you to be. Now that would leave us completely and hopelessly in despair if that were the whole story. And thank God that's not the whole story because he's made a way to escape from sin. But that's a different word. And what I want us all to realize tonight is that we are all sinners and that none of us can be good enough on our own. It's not possible. Only by throwing ourselves on the mercy of our Creator can we ever be what He intended for us to be. Maybe you're here tonight and there's some sin in your life that's separating you from God and you need to make a change here this evening in a public way. If that's the case, if we can help you in any way tonight, we invite you to come now while we stand and while we sing.